Well, uh, this is kind of a second part in uh, uh, talking about prayer this morning. And so if you're just coming today, I recommend going back on our podcast and listening to last week as well, if you're interested. Uh, We talked about Jesus teaching his disciples to pray and how every time we pray, we get a chance to reaffirm the gospel in our life. That not it wasn't ever meant for uh, the, the prayer that Jesus teaches us wasn't ever meant for us to just sort of memorize it and then just like let it out in a way that didn't make any sense, you know, didn't let us connect with God. But it was a way for us to have a relationship with Jesus and it was a way for us to reaffirm the gospel in our lives on a, on a daily basis. And so I recommend going back and checking that out. Today, I really want to talk about something that's like really dear to my heart. This, um, this message is uh, something I've been thinking about teaching for a long time and it's um, it's a, uh, something that I learned a while back that really changed the way that I pray, okay? And so I hope that this, this will change the way that you pray today. That's really my hope and my, my thought process behind it. And so to go back, to give you some context, um, I want to go back to um, 1994, the glorious time. Uh, Sega Genesis was uh, all the rage, you know. Yeah, there you go. There's a gamer back there. Um, I was in my glory, okay? Uh, Dan Marino was still playing football, okay? Uh, And I was a new Christian, been a Christian for uh, a couple months. I accepted Jesus when I was 13. And and so uh, my family slowly started to receive Christ. So my mom had been dragging me to church. She had been a Christian, and she basically wanted to pass it on to us. And so at about 11, 12 years old, we just started getting in the car on Sunday morning and going with my mom to church. But my dad, he was like, yeah, I'm not having any of that. I'm staying home. And he would, he would kind of like get out of it by like doing laundry and then watching football, right? And so, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to stay home and do laundry, you know. So then you guys go to church, and I don't really want any of that. And it didn't really, church didn't really make a lot of sense to me either, okay? So I, it was the kind of place where I just didn't really get it at first. And I, no one really explained to me what was really happening. And I just, they just assumed that I would understand. And I always felt underdressed. You know, I always felt like I was coming to somebody's family reunion and that, you know, I didn't really know all the, like, right ways to talk about things or the right ways to process stuff. And I was kind of lost, um, even in the midst of a church. And uh, when I accepted Christ, it was all brand new to me. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to read a Bible. I didn't know how to do anything. And so I remember somebody giving me my first Bible, and I just read the whole thing. And they were like, you're 13. You just read the whole Bible? And I was like, I don't know. Is that, I'm, I thought I was supposed to do that. I didn't know Christians don't read their Bibles. I didn't know. It seemed to me like I hadn't been around long enough. They were like, wait, you actually, like, I was like, yeah, what's this whole thing about? And they're like, don't read that part. And I'm like, I don't know. I read the whole thing. <laughs> uh, and then I started to learn about prayer. And it was like, prayer was like this thing that didn't make a lot of sense. There was something about it that was like um, kind of mystical and just something like something about you connecting with God, but like it having an effect on the world around you. And I, I couldn't quite figure it out, but some of the people I was around, the way that they prayed, uh, to me, it made it feel like they didn't really believe what they were saying. Now, I know that's super judgmental. Like, it is not something that I think a lot or want to think about people. But I, I had people teaching me how to pray who didn't seem like they believed the things they were praying, essentially. Um, and so me just not really understanding things, I just ask questions and be like, well, why don't we pray about that? And they'd be like, yeah, let's pray about it. And then you get these, like, half-hearted prayers where it's like, you know, I feel like we're talking to the God of the universe that has every single thing in his grasp. He can control it all. He has all the resources. He has all the, but we're asking him for stuff in a way that feels like we're tiptoeing around what we really want to say, what we really want to ask for. And, and I, I, 
was kind of processing how everybody was praying around me. And it felt like what they, they didn't want to deal with the disappointment of praying for something and then not receiving it. That was kind of what I was getting from people. It's like, I don't want to ask for what I really need or for what would really change the situation or for what would really make a difference in this person's life. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hedge this prayer so in case God doesn't give me the thing that I'm asking for, then he won't be this like big, bad, you know, entity up there that doesn't listen to me. And it just didn't really make a lot of sense. And at the same time, I started, uh, I just decided that my dad was going to become a Christian. I was like, this is happening. We're going to make this work. I don't know how it's going to happen, but this is happening. And I started to begin to pray. And uh, as a 14-year-old kid who just thought, maybe I can change God's mind, or maybe I can motivate my dad through prayer. Maybe I can, you know, have God be active in his life. I'm just going to go do this. I don't know what this looks like. I'm just going to do it. And so I started praying. And I mean, sometimes it would be like 45 minutes or an hour a day in prayer for my dad's salvation, okay? And I'm telling you this story, and I'm, it's got a great ending, okay, just so you know. Uh, and I'm telling you for a reason, because this is how I got to a place where I understood prayer differently. This is, I'm not telling you this story is something that it, it applies all the way across the board all the time. I'm just telling you here's my experience, okay? And so I started to pray for my dad. I went on this mission trip over the summer, uh, and I went to the island of Grenada on a missions base. It was a youth with a mission base in Grenada. And basically, I went for a week or two of missions with uh, some other students. And then I just called my parents, and I was like, I'm not coming home. I want to stay here. And they were like, great. <laughs> Let us know when you're ready. <laughs> uh, and it was like another four weeks of just hanging out on this mission base and just serving. I was uh, doing dishes and uh, painting stuff. There's one day where I jackhammered up a concrete floor. I mean, we were doing vacation Bible schools in the local town. Uh, we were going down and passing out food and serving the poor. I mean, it was just this life-changing experience that had been something that uh, took my level of spirituality, my relationship with God to a completely different place. And I recommend to anyone who can ever get on a missions trip, you have no idea what it does to your faith when you get out of your comfort zone and you go and rely on Jesus in a foreign place where you're not exactly sure. And to be honest with you, mission trips are never about what you can accomplish on the field. It's always about what God's doing in you when you get out of your regular routine and you start to learn how big he is and what's available to you as a Christian. Um, and so the whole trip, I just prayed every day for my dad's salvation. It was like, for me, I'm going to pray this man into heaven. Now, my dad, he had a Bible sitting on his um, nightstand for my whole life, but we never talked about it. And I didn't know, you know, now I'm an adult. I've had conversations with my dad, and he's like, yeah, I was a Christian before that, but we had walked away from the church, and we were hurt, and we just didn't know what to do. And we didn't, we just kind of just walked away and put it away, but he kept this Bible on that nightstand, and I don't know why, why it was there, what he was trying to say. I mean, he was raising us uh, essentially to live a Christian ethic, but without Christ in the picture, because that Bible just sat there, right? And so I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I got home from the trip, and at our church, we were doing a wrap-up uh, for the, the trip, and we were going to share all the stuff that had happened, and we are going to tell stories, and we were going to do songs. I, I wasn't doing songs, just, you know, so you guys know. Um, and I, I had basically told my dad, look, Dad, I, I need you to come to this thing. You don't know how important this is to me. I need you to be there. If you, if you love me, you're going to come to this church service. I don't care what the baggage is. You have to come and hear what happened on this trip. And he, he wouldn't say yes. He just kind of was like, I don't know if I want to go. And, 
you know, now knowing the hurt that he'd felt in a church before and him walking back into the doors of a church, what that meant for him and how he had to put aside some baggage that he had had, man, it was amazing that he did it. And I, I want us to never take that for granted, by the way. Any person who walks in off the street to this church is carrying with them baggage of things that people have done to them or things they've experienced or situations that didn't go the way they hoped they would. And it's a new chance to uh, encourage them in what it means to be part of a community. And we sometimes only get one chance. We have to nail it every time. We have to be on, uh, you know, on our be- put on our best foot forward to welcome people into the church and to give them a space to heal. And so that morning I left for church very early to go and, and practice, prepare, get ready. And I still didn't know if my dad was going to show up. And so, uh, you know, we, we got to the church service. I basically got ready for church, and then it started. And, you know, I don't know, m- midway through that first song, I was actually up on stage doing a drama. And I looked down, and he's sitting, like, third row, left side, boom, right there. And I just pray, I'm just praying, God, like, move this man's heart. Like, he's stubborn. That's where I get it, right? Like, he's, he's going to take a move of the Holy Spirit to have him respond to your gospel and uh i look down halfway through the service and he just looks like he has just this like stern look on his face and i'm like this is not going well um and he's wearing a suit and nobody else in the room's wearing a suit <laughs> um and uh at the end of the service he uh he basically gave his life to jesus you never would have been able to tell by his face the whole time you thought what's going on in him it's not what i think is happening like what I saw from the stage was this guy's just getting through this and in reality God was doing something in his heart and he accepted uh re-accepted or reaffirmed his relationship with Jesus in that moment and it was that moment that began a healing work in him where he then became uh an elder of the church and then he eventually went into ministry but I basically spent six months praying sometimes up to an hour a day for my dad's salvation and I just, at 14, I don't know how I would have processed if that story hadn't ended the way that it ended. Because I think there's a lot of times when we pray for something, we want something so desperately, and sometimes it feels like it's in line with God's will, it's someone's salvation, it's a health situation that we're dealing with, it's uh, infertility, it's some of these big things where we're struggling through something and we're pleading with God and we're saying, God, please, please intervene here. I don't know if I can handle the weight of what's going on any longer unless you, unless you intervene. And we've had our heart broken so many times when God didn't do the thing that we, we thought we, that he should do. You know, and so today, literally, this, this, this message is born out of that disappointment. It's born out of what do we do when we pray to God and he's just not there to vend out the thing that we want. He's not the vending machine that we hoped that he would be. And how do we process that? How do we move forward and to continue to pray, and to continue to be persistent, and to continue to, to uh, open our hearts up to God again, even though we feel disappointed. Okay, this is Jesus' teaching. Now, this passage comes directly after the Lord's Prayer. So they say, teach us to pray, and he goes through the Lord's Prayer with them, and he teaches them to pray, and then he goes from that section right into this. It like literally follows right into it. So this is what it says, Luke ch- uh, chapter 11, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. 
Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. This is a messed up story for people in the first century who are Jewish. Okay? They would never, ever, ever want to be in a situation where they didn't have something to put in front of somebody who had traveled to them. Their sense of hospitality was defined who they were in some ways. So you would be essentially a terrible Jewish person if you didn't have something ready for a traveler who showed up at your house. Okay, it also tells you that probably they ate everything they had that night and had nothing left, right? So they're not necessarily in that great a standing, but they're still ready to receive a traveler who comes in the middle of the night. This would have been like an unheard of situation in a, 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 in a Jewish person's life in the first century. And then for them to go and knock on the neighbor's house at that time would have also been a scandalous thing to do. Essentially, it, it says that um, the way that they go and knock, the, the words that are used here, like, you know, where they basically say, um, you know, uh, you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. It's essentially like saying, you basically walk all around the house slamming on the windows and doors to get the person to get up and give you the thing that you want. Everybody in the neighborhood would have been like, what are you doing, George? Or, yeah, I don't know, would be a good Jewish person's name, right? So they'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you rapping on that guy's windows? Why are you slamming on his door? What is a, is a one bedroom, okay? It's like the kids go to sleep and the parents are sleeping in the same room. Sometimes they even bring the animals into that space. It's not a situation. That, look, if you know somebody who has like a, a, an infant or a toddler and you show up at the wrong time of day and knock on the door, you're going to get it, right? You interrupt nap time, you wake up a sleeping baby, you're going to get the wrath of that parent who's home with that child, right? That's going to happen. This is at midnight. Everybody's sleeping. The whole neighborhood is sleeping, right? They're in and they're cozy. They're, they're uh, you know, all tucked in. The parents have been tiptoeing around the house, right, for, you know, an hour or two, trying not to wake anybody up. And here comes, you know, this crazy neighbor slamming his fist on the door saying, I, I need you to give me three loaves of bread. It's a pretty big ask at that time. And of course, the response would have been like, uh, I'm sure this was whispered from inside the house, don't bother me, you idiot. <laughs> the door is already locked. My children are in bed. I cannot give, get up and give you anything. Like, get out of here, you crazy psycho. Like, go down the street to somebody else. You know, there's a new couple down the street that are just married. They have no kids. Go knock on their door. What are you doing, Right? They're not comfortable with this, with this analogy that Jesus is giving them. It's probably giving everyone a little bit of, uh, they're probably upset about hearing this story because it wouldn't have gone well. Verse 8, this is what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, right? Even though your friendship is not developed enough with this dude to get up and give you what you're asking for, right? So the other night I picked up a, a trailer, and I have an old pickup truck, uh, 1998 Chevy Z71 K1600. Awesome. I love it. Uh, but it's old, and it's kind of crappy. And I picked up a trailer, and I started driving down the road, and I realized the, the running lights weren't on it. And I pulled over on the side of the road and realized none of the lights on the trailer were working. And this was like at dusk, like getting to be dark. And um, then realized I had shorted out all my electrical system, and I was in the parking lot of Hobby Lobby in Coon Rapids. So who do you call at that time? I only have like four people who I know who have trucks. 
and I called the one who would say yes and show up, right? You, you, know, you have those friendships where when you need something, that person shows up for you, you know who to call. Well, these guys don't have friendship enough for him to get up out of his bed and potentially wake up his family to give what this guy is asking for. He says, even though the bread is not going to get given to you because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In other words, in other words, just to shut you up, just to stop you from rapping on the windows, just to save the entire neighborhood the, uh, you know, the experience of listening to you bumble around in the middle of the night trying to get something from your neighbor, right? He's going to get up and give you what you ask for. It's because of your shameless audacity. This is what Jesus says, because of your shameless audacity. This word is translated in all kinds of different ways. It's, it's almost translated differently in every single translation that I looked it up in. And when you go back to the original language, the, to the, 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 uh, the Greek and Aramaic, basically it's this word audacity. Um, it's translated best impudence. You have an ESV Bible. It says impudence. I, I'm, I'm not that smart. I don't know what impudence means. So I looked it up. I was like, let me, let me figure out what impudence means. The dictionary does not help. It says impudence. The quality of being impudent. <laughs> and then it has a semicolon and says, impertinence. I don't know what that means either. <laughs> the NLT says, but I tell you this, though he won't get up for friendship's, sakes, for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, if you are shamelessly audacious in the way that you knock, He's going to get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. That's the word that the uh, NLT, shameless persistence. The message, right? Uh, anyway, don't, don't at me about this, right? But I want to read you. He says, but let me tell you, even though he won't get up because he's a friend, if you stand your ground knocking and waking all of the neighbors, he'll finally get up and give you whatever you need. Jesus, Jesus tells us that when we go to ask God for what we need, that we should do it in a shamelessly audacious, persistent way. That we should kick the door down, that we should hammer on the windows, and that we should continue to do it persistently until something happens. Now, I realize what I'm saying when I say that, because we've all been on the other side of that. We've all been on the side where we say, like, we, I prayed about this thing and I just didn't get what what I was asking for. It seemed like God should have gave it to me. I, I don't understand why this didn't work out the way that I wanted to. But Jesus gives us this picture and he says, look, I want you to not be ashamed and to keep on asking. To not be ashamed, to not worry about yourself, but to continue to ask for the thing you need in a shamelessly audacious way. And as I shared this concept with someone last week, they were like, well, that's so presumptive. That God would give you what you want. Yeah, and here's what I'm, what I'm trying to say about this. is Jesus is not saying we're going to get what we want every single time. What he's telling us is that the, the way that we should pray is to pray for the absolute best outcome. But at the end of the day, the way that we should pray should be affected by the, what we see in Christ and who we know God to be. Right? We know God is good. This is the thing that we have to come back to and say, whatever God decides to do in this moment when, when I pray this prayer, I believe at the end of this prayer that he is good. But I'm going to kick the door down and continue to do it in a persistent way 
because that's what Jesus has told me to do. That's what real faith looks like. That's what we're supposed to be doing as we pray. Not the half-hearted, not the hedge your bets, not the, hey, God, you know, look, and I don't, man, we have to balance this against what James says, you know, if it be God's will. But, like, half the time when we pray, we're like, hey, God, if it's okay, maybe you could just, like, heal this person or, you know, hey, it's okay. Like, no, kick the door down. Pray audaciously. Pray the prayer that puts you in a place of uh, where you're uncomfortable in the amount of faith that it takes to pray the prayer with a few, with a few caveats. He goes on. He says, verse 9, So I, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's like, okay, this is good. By the way, this is where we come up with uh, the idea for Pursuit Community Church. You know, like, <laughs> ask and you receive. Seek and you find. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is a promise from Christ. Keep coming. Kick down the door. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep praying audaciously. Have this relationship with God where you believe the next prayer is going to be the one that gets answered. Have this relationship with God where you pray in faith for the best possible outcome. And then Jesus kind of gives us a, a little a, a way of understanding this passage here in the, in the last section. He says, verse 11, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he, he basically says, what I want you to understand is that your, your, your God is a father. Okay, sometimes when we pray audaciously, we pray for what we think is the best possible outcome, we're praying a selfish prayer. And other times when we pray, we're praying an unselfish prayer. How do we figure out what it is that we should be praying for audaciously? And he connects it back to the heart of a father. He says, if you're trying to figure out what this audacious prayer looks like in the moment where you're praying with somebody or where you're praying about something, then you should ask the question, what would a father pray over his child? Because that's the thing that God wants to do. He wants to be our father in those moments. And he wants to pray. He wants us to pray in that way to have the the heart of him being our father and him being good. And I, I recognize that might come with baggage for you because maybe your earthly father isn't the father that you hoped he would be. But God is the perfect father who loves us in the way that we should be loved. And he's not looking to play games and he's not looking to trick us and he's not looking to hurt us. That when we go to him and we pray these prayers, that he wants to give us good gifts. James says all the good gifts come from the father who is above, Right? God has these things. But there are times when my kids ask me for something, and I say no. They're like, Dad, we want ice cream for breakfast. No. Sorry. You are the worst dad ever. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. Maybe I know more than you. Maybe I have the whole picture in mind. Okay, but it doesn't change the way that we're called to pray. In fact, persistence is a part of this. In other words, Jesus is even saying here, you might not receive what you're asking for, but I'm telling you to continue to do this. Right? He's, he says this uh, in Luke uh, 18. Jesus gives uh, his disciples a story. Look, look at what he says, Luke 18, verse 1. He says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So what is he saying in that, in that, in that sentence? What is the author, Luke, here trying to say? He's saying, there are going to be times when you pray and you're not going to receive what you're asking for. Like Jesus is saying, when you pray and when you don't get what you want, I want you to 
pray and never give up. He basically tells them for sure there are going to be times when you pray and you're not going to get what you're asking for. It doesn't change the way that we should pray. We should pray audaciously and we should pray in a persistent way. And he gives them this story. He says, he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, so this wasn't motivated by a relationship with God, or care what people think, (laughs) that must be awesome, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice just so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Just so she'll leave me alone, just so that she'll be out of my life, I'm going to go ahead and give her justice. And when Jesus told this story, everybody in the room would have understood this. There was no such thing as justice in in their time frame. If somebody had done you wrong, you needed to pay somebody off to get justice. If you're a widow and you didn't have anything, there's no way to pay that judge off. But this widow kept coming audaciously, persistently, shamelessly, right? You can imagine her, she's guy comes out of his the judge comes out of his house in the morning and walks walks into town to the courthouse and there she is on the way to work walking next to him judge give me give me justice right he goes through his whole day he comes out of the courthouse there she is waiting on him when he comes out judge give me justice give me justice give me justice give me justice she's so persistent that he finally is just like i just need this lady to go away like i just need her to not be here ever leave me alone go away and you're like, this is a terrible story. Why is Jesus telling us this? Like, God's not like that. He says, verse 6, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Like, listen to the guy who doesn't follow God, the guy who doesn't care about what people think, the guy who can only be bought off for justice, the, you know, the guy who's part of the problem, essentially. Listen to what he says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And whenever I read this, the words that Jesus uses goes back to the story of the Israelites in captivity in Egypt. Right? There's these people in captivity who are crying out day and night to their God to be freed. Right? And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. This is the Lord speaking to Moses through the burning bush. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. The the point of this sermon is is not that uh, if you pray hard enough, God will give you what you want. I don't want you to receive that message. But Jesus tells us to pray audaciously, shamelessly, persistently for the Father's heart in every situation. He's not telling us that we should half-heartedly pray something as though we don't have faith that he has everything we need and can provide for the thing that we want. But also at the end of the day, we have to realize that this is our Father who loves us and gives us good gifts. And there are times when I pray something in my own flesh, in my own selfishness, in my own pride, where the father says to me no, or he says to me not yet, or he sees all the things happening and doesn't exactly give me the thing that I want. But in that moment, know that God is with us, that he has heard our cry, that he is concerned about the suffering that we're dealing with, 
And oftentimes, he's dealing with the things that we're praying in ways that we don't even see in the moment, but we see later on. Or to ask you to share stories about what, the difference that prayer made to you, there's probably, in all of those stories, a kernel of truth where you weren't sure that prayer was going to make a difference. You weren't sure what was going to happen. And God did something to show you that he's active in those moments, that he is with you all the time. The one thing that we see all through Scripture is that Jesus, that God is with us. It's the thing that is said the most all the way through the Bible. The way that we pray is audacious, persistent. It shows that we believe that God is who he is. It shows that we believe that he has what we need. It shows that we have this relationship with him where we're going to go and we're going to kick the door down to the things that we want. And at the end of the day, whether we receive those things or we don't, we step back and we say, God is still good. He's still a father who gives us incredible gifts. He still loves us, and he is still with us no matter what the situation is. Now, I shared with you that great story, right? Like, my dad accepts Christ or, you know, reaffirms his faith and becomes an elder and goes on to be in ministry. Uh, he actually just retired this week. Um, he works for the biggest church in the country, and he uh, built all of their campuses. They have, like, over 20 campuses. He literally became someone who built churches uh, as his main job. Yes, that church was big enough to have a design and uh, construction department that my dad got to lead. It's pretty cool. Um, but there are also stories that, that I could tell where I've prayed with people, and you know, we've prayed for situations of health, and we've lost a person. We prayed for fertility issues and not seen the thing that we had prayed for, or we prayed you know, audaciously for things and not always gotten the things that that we hoped for or that we were praying audaciously for. But the thing is, we can't get into a situation where we get beat down by the the loss that happens when we pray for something and don't receive it. God says, I want you to continue to pursue me, to continue to pray the Father's heart for every situation to continue to think about what it is that I want to give you and to pray audaciously for those things, that this is what it looks like, and to not grow weary in doing those things when we don't see exactly God doing the thing that we want him, want him to do. Um, and so for me, when I pray with people, when I pray over the things that are going on in my own life, I think, like, what is God's heart in this, and how can I pray that in a way that is just shamelessly audacious? How do I go for it? And at the end of the day, I'm going to step back and say that God is good no matter what. Now, we're about to finish here with a song, and I'm going to pray in just a second for us. But I also want to say, if you're carrying something heavy, or there's something that you want to pray about, and maybe you don't pray anymore for that shamelessly audacious thing, and you need someone else to pray with you for that, we have our prayer ministry here every week where people are ready to pray. I would love to hang out with you for a minute and pray before the parent meeting. I'd be glad to pray audaciously with you. This is the beauty about being in a community because we can carry this stuff together. We can have faith for one another in some of these issues. All right, let me pray. We'll close our time here. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for having a relationship with us. Thank you for, for calling us into this relationship that is real. God, would you give us faith to pray 
shamelessly audacious prayers, persistent prayers where we don't question your goodness, God, but we step back and we say, I'm going to pray the Father's heart in this situation, and I'm going to love you either way, whether you do the thing that I'm asking for or you do the thing that you know is right. And God, would you help us to have perspective in those times where we feel like we're lost in those prayers and we've lost the faith to continue to pray for this family? And would you give us faith as a community to pray for one another in a way that prays the Father's heart over all of these situations, God? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for giving us this gift of prayer that we can commune with you, the God of the universe. Help us to take that seriously. Help us to get deeper in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you rise? We're going to finish here.